Good morning. Uh, uh, and greetings from Grace Church of Tirana. Uh, I'm very uh, honored to be here uh, with you this morning to worship together and also uh, be able to bring God's word to you. And uh, I've been very thankful for so many years of your faithfulness of your church, support the work of the Lord in Albania for the previous le uh, leadership here, Andy and Brent, and also for current leadership, uh, Pastor uh, Nathan. And uh, I'm very thankful that uh, I will get also to share with you a little bit about Albania and about uh, what God is doing in, in uh, uh, Albania through Grace Church and at Grace Church. And uh, just briefly, I will highlight uh, some of the things going on, and then I'll transition to the sermon. Uh, for some of you that who don't know me, like uh, Pastor Nathan was referring, I minister at Grace Church of Tirana, Albania. Albania is right across Italy, in case you didn't know, and south we have Greece, the border with Greece. Albania has been under Turkish Empire for almost uh, 500 years and also under communism for 50 years. Thank the Lord, uh, communism fell in year 90 and we are a uh, democracy right now and we have uh, freedom of religion, we're able to preach the gospel. And like I said, the gospel work has started much earlier in Albania, but currently after 50 years of uh, communism started in 1991. And like Nathan mentioned, uh, Albania is considered a predominantly Muslim country, although there are uh, Catholics and Orthodox uh, uh, believers, or if you want to call it that way, uh, Orthodox Church. Because of the communism, though, most of the Muslims are nominal. Uh, uh, so Albania is known for its harmony of religion, and uh, Albanians are still open to the gospel. Uh, the freedom of religion is the same as, as here. We have the same rights as uh, you have here, and thank the Lord. Uh, the church in Albania in general is growing, but it seems has hit some plateau. Uh, we're praising God what's happening there. Uh, particularly where I am in Tirana, there are about 60 ch evangelical churches. And in the other cities, there are about three to seven churches. And uh, although uh, you know, there are 60 churches, we still believe that uh, the most strategic thing is to reach the people of Tirana. Tirana has about 1 million people and 300,000 people move in and out of town every day. So it's a strategy to reach uh, Tirana because people have come from all over Albania or other places. And so that's one of the reasons our church is uh, currently moving along to plant at least another church in Tirana. And uh, as we minister there, one of the big cha challenges is uh, materialism. And for the church, uh, as you are aware, uh, it's the gospel of prosperity. And uh, another challenge we see is for the country, but also for the church, is a number of people leaving the country and uh, believers leaving because of economic reasons. But you can pray with us, so through God's grace, they will stay in the country to serve uh, God there and serve uh, people to, pre to preach the gospel. Some uh, praises that I want to mention that's been happening in uh, last year at our church, and we thank the Lord for that. Particularly, we uh, 
thank the Lord for the youth pastor. We, we have been training for the last two years an Albanian youth pastor. And last year, he officially uh, took the, the, the youth ministry, and he's doing a very good job. Uh, the youth group uh, has been uh, established well, and, is, and in time, we'll, we believe, by God's grace, will flourish. Uh, further, another area we have been focusing last uh, few years, like th- three years, is discipleship uh, by training biblical, counselor, uh, biblical counselors. Uh, two years ago, I got certified as biblical counselor, and I've been, tra- I've been uh, counseling uh, every week, uh, four to five people, and at least I've seen one person come to Christ just through biblical counseling. And also, we have about five or so, or more, more uh, than five uh, people who are on the way to become certified as biblical counselors, because we see that's the way not just to help uh, to f- form a church that counsel one another, but also to be able to counsel special kids, but also to reach people with the gospel. So we're thankful for uh, what God's doing in that uh, area. Uh, one thing we will ask you to pray for us is to, we as a church will continue to grow uh, in the gospel, to live according to the gospel and preach the gospel. And one big challenge for us as a church and for a lot of the churches in Albania is having our own building and uh, you can pray that God will give us wisdom and what's the best for the church. And particular rents are high, so it puts a burden in our financial budget. But you can pray with us in that area. And uh, so these are some of the things that I, would, uh, I was wanting to mention to you. And you can thank the Lord with us, and also you can pray with us. And uh, hopefully one of those times I'll talk to Pastor Nathan, maybe the little video of you know, explain a little bit more what's going on there, and that will be encouragement to you. And like now, I would like to uh, transition our time uh, from what God is doing in Albania, but uh, to the Word of God, and particularly, I want to focus uh, our, our attention to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, and I'd like to speak about our glorious hope. And particularly, I want to start with some provoking questions by Christopher Ash. He's a, he's a preacher. He says this, what does God think of you? And does it matter? Every human being has significant others, as we call them, whose opinion matters deeply. Whether it be a father or mother whose affirmation we crave, or a husband or wife whose unconditional love means more than the world to us, or some other significant relationship, all of us mind what somebody thinks, right? And he continues to say, but what about God, the most significant other in the universe? What does he think of me? He holds my destiny in his hands, but does he smile or does he frown? Well, my questions in the same lines are, would be this morning is, what does God think of you? How does he see you? Does God love you more when you obey him? Or does he love you less when you disobey him? Why, why does God love us anyway? How did, he, how did we get in a relationship with him? What is the status of status of our relationship with God. 
what is the basis of our relationship of God with us and our, what is the basis of our relationship with Him? How can we keep our relationship with God? Do we do something about it? Why does God love us again? Is it because we love Him and because we obey Him? Why, does, why do we obey Him anyway? What is the basis of our obedience to Him? Now, you might have these questions, or uh, you've had them, or you're thinking about them, or you might have similar questions uh, in your life. And therefore, I would like this morning to address some of these questions from this passage, from this wonderful passage uh, from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. And I would like to speak about our, again about our glorious hope we have in Christ. So, uh, if you already have not opened, opened the Bible there, you can open the Bible in Romans chapter 5. Uh, we'll read verses 1 to 11. Let's read those verses together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for, our, for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One could dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in, in, in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we are, for if we, if while we, are, we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been for whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray briefly and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we just come before your presence as your children and just ask you to speak, us, speak to us through your word and encourage us to uh, teach us, to convict us, and to change us into your into uh, image of your Son for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Romans, in fact, it is a complete exposition and application of the gospel in the life of the church. In, in fact, the very theme of the book, uh, as you might know already, is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. And Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now you can see that Paul says, I'm not ashamed to preach you the gospel, but these people are already believers. The purpose of the book is to help a church grow in a deeper understanding of the gospel, in the believing of the gospel, so the church will continue to live and experience the power of God, and they will continue to preach the gospel 
and so they might become a missional church, a church that reaches others with the gospel. A church becomes, in fact, a missional church as the gospel overflows through the church. And uh, Paul, in fact, uh, just briefly, uh, the, uh, we'll give you a, a little brief overview from the beginning of letter 2, chapter 5. In the first 15 verses, he does an introduction to the letter. Then from verse 18 all the way to verse 20, chapter 3, he talks about the absolute need every single person has for the gospel. Then in chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, he shows us that salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Then in chapter 4, he talks to us about the fact that salvation has always been by grace through faith alone. We are made right. We're justified by God alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the, grace, for the glory of God alone. Now, when we come to Romans 5, verses 1 to 11, he turns our attention to the benefits of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Justification makes a difference. It's not just something we believe, but how do we live knowing that we are justified? In fact, it makes every difference, not only where we're heading, not only uh, how we act and feel in good times, but even how we feel in, and how we live in, in bad times. So it is important for us to understand how does the justification by faith help us to live every day. So Romans 5 to 1 it gives us at least three wonderful realities that uh, justification brings us, uh, brings us into our life as believers. So these are three present, continuous benefits that we have as we meditate and live upon these Three great realities that salvation brings us or justification. Justification brings us peace with God, verse 1. Justification brings us into a personal relationship with God, verse 2a. And justification brings us uh, a certain hope of future glory with God, Romans 5, 2b. So let's start, the let's start with the first uh, reality that justification brings us. Notice in verse 1. The word therefore. This word serves in verse 1 as a double introduction. First, the word therefore tells us that these verses uh, that come now are consequences of the truths that is already uh, preached from uh, previous chapters, especially chapter 3 and chapter 4. Secondly, Apostle Paul says, since... Because we have been justified through faith, what do we have? What are the consequences, what are the benefits of uh, this great doctrine of justification by faith that Abraham, that he mentions chapter 4, David knew that they lived by that great truth, and which we finally see uh, and eternally seen and secured at the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, light it all we have seen, here are three realities that justification brings us. Apostle Paul introduces justification by faith, like I mentioned earlier uh, in chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. He speaks about them 
more in Romans 3 verses 21 to 31, Romans 4 particularly, and Romans 5. Justification answers the most important question that every single person in the world uh, needs to know. How can a sinful person be right with a holy God? Justification, in fact, is the great doctrine of reformation, and it affects us greatly how we live. What is justification anyway before we can see the realities that justification brings us into? Justification is God's declaration that the believer is right in the right relationship with God. Justification, in fact, is a law term that was used in court system and in the context of Christian life means that God, at the beginning of the Christian life, has declared us righteous, justified. Justification changes the status of our relationship with God. It brings us in an instantaneous or uh, absolute, eternal change of our status at our salvation. Justification is God declaring us innocent, 100%, by His free grace. As Paul has already explained in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we are justified before the Holy God because the wrath of God against sinners was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross and we have received justification by empty-handed faith with no contribution from us, anything, no human works or nothing. God declaring us righteous is based on the truth of penal substitution, that Jesus bore the penalty of our sin that we deserve, or we deserved. Here is another great definition of justification We're declared by Christopher Ashe. We are declared righteous by God, by grace alone, received by empty-handed faith alone through the propriety death of Jesus, by which our sin is counted to him and his righteousness counted to us. This is the only way men or women can be right with God through the saving righteousness of God. Now, let's look at verse 1 again. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now look at the, the verb in the Greek. I don't know if it matters that much to you, but in some way it matters. In the Greek language is aorist, and it means it's an action that has happened in the past but continues to have results in the pres- on the present. Also, the verb is in passive voice, which means that it's something that it has been done to us and not something we have done. So what does that mean is that we are justified by God and not by ourselves. It says, we have been justified by God. It is the work of God in our behalf in Christ. Our salvation is complete work of God and it has nothing to do with us. God saved us when we were not seeking God, neither his salvation. That's what Romans 3 says. No one seeks God. We have been declared righteous by God, but not by our righteousness. Justified by God through faith. We have received the righteousness of God by an empty-handed faith. With no contribution whatsoever from us. Now, after seeing what justification means, we turn to the first reality uh, that justification brings. 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, what does it mean, peace with God? What does it mean uh, we have peace, that we have the peace of God as it refers in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7? No, it's not the same as the peace of God. The peace of God is a calm and satisfied heart in the midst of troubles and pressures. The peace of God is peace in regard to the cares of the world. It is subjective. It's not objective. But peace with God means the state of hostility between God and us is over forever. Peace with God is peace with regard to God. It's objective and we have peace with God whether we feel happy or insecure. It doesn't matter. Peace with God means that until salvation, there was a war between God and us. When we disobey God, two things happen. First is that when we sin, when you sin, you are not only breaking His law, but you assume uh, the authority uh, to do something. You claim kingship over yourself and our world, or your world. But, claim, but God also claims kingship over the same things. So whenever there's two parties that claim absolute uh, authority over something, there is a war between the two of them. Second is that our disobedience means that God has a problem with us. It is not just that we are hostile to him. We are. But Paul has already told us, actually, in chapter 1, Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18, that God's wrath was upon us. God's anger is not the same as our anger. It's not vengeful or vindictive. It is legal. There is a sentence on us, and it cannot be changed. You can, it's like you, when you get a fine, uh, let's say you're speeding or something, you can just say, I don't want it anymore. It's legal. You can't change it until you pay it. So the same was with us. This is, means that we could not, we cannot simply turn back to God as though we can just change things and we can be at peace with him. Apostle Paul, in fact, in, in verses 9 to 10 of chapter 5, tells us that peace with God means we are reconciled to him. And we have now received a reconciliation. That means his anger has been taken away. Peace with God is not something we achieve. Peace with God means we are reconciled with him. Peace with God means that our relationship with God has been restored by God himself, not by us. One author again writes, God does not confer the status of righteousness upon us without at the same time giving himself to us in friendship and establishing peace between himself and us. So what does this mean? We have to remember every day that we have peace with God and it's not because of us. We have a restored relationship with God because God has justified us through the empty and empty-handed faith in Christ alone. But Apostle Paul, again, one, adds one more component that we already have seen. I have mentioned, but I would like to, to add before we can see some application to this point, this great reality. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ our Lord is the one who brings us to peace with God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us Jesus is our peace. Jesus alone reconciles us 
with God because we gave him our sin and he gave to us his righteousness. And God treated him as a sinner instead of us and punished him in our place. Romans 3, 21, 31. We have peace with God not because of our record, but because of Jesus' perfect record for us. When somebody goes to university, they are able to go to university because they have some record. If they all have uh, Fs, they can, right? But apparently, somebody in their place has all A's, and because of that person, that person is able to go to university. And it's the same with us. Jesus loved God perfectly, obeyed God perfectly for us, and that has been counted to us by faith in Him. We are in Him, in Jesus, and God sees us in Jesus perfectly. Just remember this. In God's records, there is no record that you ever, ever, ever sinned against God. It has all been paid by Jesus Christ. It's, oh, it's free. He's dead free. He took upon himself the curse of the law for our sins. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And let me suggest some applications to this great reality that should affect the way we live every day. So justification is not some doctrine we believe, but it's something that should affect how we live daily. And let me give you some applications real quick. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith alone, let us remember every day we are at peace with God. You are at peace with God, but not because of you. Preach that gospel to yourself. Don't preach another gospel. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith, let us remember every day that God is for us. God is not against you. God is for you. He brought His Son from heaven to earth to save us. He's not against you. He is for you. God is not some great policeman that is trying to make us our life miserable. He is for us. And he's not against us. And that's because of Christ. When we sin, let us preach the gospel to ourselves that God has justified us. And again, we are at peace with God. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith, our peace with God does not depend on what we do or we don't, or how you feel today, or how you feel the next day. You are justified. You are righteous. You might not feel righteous, but you are righteous. Count on that because of Christ. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith, our repentance and obedience to God are not to propitiate God. God has already been created by Christ. Since God has justified 
us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith, we repent from our sin and obey God not to earn salvation, not to earn God's favor, but out of gratitude for what he has done for us and because of our love for him. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith, we have peace with God in spite, I might already mentioned it, how we feel. Even when we obey God and we are growing spiritually and we're doing well spiritually, much more we should preach the gospel. That is not because of us. It's because alone of Christ. Because of Him alone, we're justified by empty-handed faith. We have nothing to show to God. Even when we're walking with Him. The empty-handed faith alone through which God has justified us in Christ alone is a faith that obeys Jesus as Lord. Faith in Christ is empty-handed, but again, it is an obedient faith that obeys Jesus as Lord because loves Him as Lord. Since God has justified us in Christ alone through empty-handed faith alone, our sanctification does not justify us, does not earn any points to God. God doesn't love us more because we are walking with him. He doesn't love us less. Of course, he's not. He wants us to repent. But again, we have to remember, we obey God. Our sanctification is not to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not to make us feel as good Christians. It does not change our relationship with God. Our relationship with God was settled once forever. At that moment, when you accepted Christ by empty-handed faith, you are in permanent relationship with God because of Christ alone. This great truth should give us great appreciation of what Christ has done and praise to our Savior, Lord God. It's his, he's the one who justified us. Do we enjoy this reality that we have peace with God? Do we believe and enjoy and rejoice in that great reality that God has brought us? Do we live every day according to this great reality that we have peace with God already? We're not trying to make somehow God happy. He's already happy in Christ because of Christ. You are in Christ and because of Christ. Well, my time is almost over. I'll take a few minutes, if you don't mind, to uh, highlight the the other two great realities that uh, justification brings us. Justification brings us to a personal relationship with God. Excuse me. Since we have been justified by empty-handed faith alone through Christ alone, we also have obtained personal relationship with God. Obtained does not mean we did something about it. But it means we have received it from God. Obtained means was given to us. Justification gives us not only peace with God, but gives us access to God himself. It gives us God himself. And, and it says there, we stand, we have access to him by grace. We stand by grace. And that means we are in a favorable Position with God. God looks upon you with favor because of Christ. In Christ, we are ushered into a permanent relationship with God. 
and we stand there forever. We remain in there. Nothing changes it. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we are in the heavenly throne room for our new presence. We have access to God permanently. To visit probably uh, Donald Trump, it means some form, some recommendation, some way. You can just walk in his office, right? They might kill you. <laughs> but we have free access to God anytime because of Jesus Christ. Anytime. He, he won't say, oh, you have sinned too much today. Come another day. I am, I'm busy with... No, he won't do that. He always, of course, he calls us to repent, but he welcomes us because of Christ. Justification gives us full access to God. Brings us to the greatest great, to the greatest favor of God upon us. Not only we are not hostile, or God is not hostile to us, but we have, again, permanent relationship with God through Christ. We have access to Him. And I hope that you remember that. That we are not anymore under sin, under the penalty, not condemned, we're not under His wrath, but we're under His grace, under His favor. God treats us in Christ as if we never sinned. As those who are perfectly obedient. Before God justified us in Christ, we stood under the law condemned, but we are now completely under his grace. And I can uh, move on with this point, but let me just highlight that we have a gracious status, a favorable status. We, have a, we are already seated in the heavenly places. Because we are justified, we are citizens of heaven. This access, this standing with God is a definite status. It's not an experience that comes and goes with our feelings. How you feel today, how you feel tomorrow. It's not because of us. It doesn't depend on us. We do not wander from being under grace and, and under sin. Our relationship with God is not be, based on us. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, it is finished. There's nothing left for you to do. If you add to it, you are disgracing him. So remember that. And <clears throat> think how that should change the way we live. And then lastly, uh, justification brings us a certain hope of future glory with God. Not only peace with God, not only access with God, but we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Both Albanian and English, the word hope, is mean, it's weak. It, does not, it means we hope, but... Somehow we might not happen. But the word in the Greek, it means something with, with certainty. Certainty, sorry. And it means I am convinced. I am convinced as I see the light, I see the sun. Christian hope is not a hopeful wish. It's a hope-filled certainty. Our justification doesn't just give peace with God doesn't just give access to God, but one day, one day, we will be completely transformed 
into our eternal state with a new resurrected body sharing God's glory. Justification doesn't just simply gives us a place where we're going to go, but gives us God and a future with God forever, to know him, to love him, and to worship him. Paul says, we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's where our hope is. Our hope is not here. When I was traveling to come here, my thinking, my desires, my purposes, my choices, everything was determined by the fact I was coming here. Right? But we have a certain hope, a, 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 a hope that is real, a true. It's not just wishful thinking. So knowing that we're going to be forever with God, share the glory of God, how should we live? It should change how we live. And one application in 1 John, I believe you have seen already, I heard you in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He's saying that, with other words, that whoever truly believes in such sure and certain hope, it will affect how we live our life now. The more we meditate in the reality that, that salvation or justification has brought us, that reality that we're going to be with God that awaits us in the day of coming of Christ, it should change how we live every day. And, and one author says, when we feed on, remember, and live in accordance with our justification, it mortifies our idols and fills us with an inner joy and desire to please and resemble our Lord through obedience. Justific- Another author says, justification is once for all occurrence, sorry, uh, it's a, justification is once for all occurrence, but a continuous celebration of this once for all occurrence is one of the keys of ongoing sanctification. Our sanctification depends on living upon justification. Another author says, sanctification, let it be repeated, stands or falls with the continued orientation towards justification and the remission of sin. Sanctification is us getting used of justification. We're justified. So, in Christ, we have been freed from our past because, of our, because our old record have been completely removed. Our sin has been put away and we have peace with God. We're free in the present time to enjoy our personal relationship with God and will one day, most certainly, experience the freedom of life lived in the full, awesome presence of God's glory. Let us live with that truth. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to bring your word uh, to your people. I just pray, Lord, that we'll continue to live uh, upon the great reality that you have justified us and you have given us peace with you. you. We have full access to you and we one day will be in your glorious presence, completely transformed. Thank you. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.